tossing and turning all night like a salad, it's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Dr. Brooke Scheller is back on the show in this episode, we are discussing her new book, How to Eat to Change How You Drink. And we're focusing on the role that nutrition plays in anxiety, alcohol and sugar cravings, blood sugar, gut health, and more. I learned a lot in this episode about nutrition and the role that it might be playing on my mental health and how to get started with being more mindful of my blood sugar so I hope that you enjoy and make sure to grab your copy of How to Eat to Change How You Drink if you haven't yet. All the information will be in the show notes. So let's get to the conversation.
Dr. Brooke, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy that you're back and I'm I'm really excited that your book is almost out in the world. How are you feeling? I am feeling good. Ups and downs for sure. It's an emotional process bringing it to life, but thank you so much for having me back. And I love our conversations and I love as you know, I love talking about the science and I know you love talking about the science. So, we have such a good Good discussion always. So what inspired you to write How to Eat to Change How You Drink? You know, I was just saying this before we got on the recording that I don't really think it came from me. <laughs> I mean, it came from me, but the inspiration came from outside of me. And I really believe and trust that it has been part of my purpose to bring this book into the world. When I look back at my education and my experiences, everything was kind of leading me up to this, um, this time where I'm really able to use my experience as a doctor of nutrition and marry that together with this experience in sobriety that I've had. And it just happens to come at a time where, as you know, the space is so ripe for this discussion around the physiological part of alcohol and how alcohol affects our body and the ways in which we can use things like food and supplementation and other wellness tools to heal our body. And so it's really the perfect marriage of this discussion around sobriety, but also the wellness and the nutrition space where there's also a lot of interest. So it's, as I was saying before we hopped on the recording, I started, um, I had the idea for the book in the fall of 2021 and um, started working on the book early 2022. And now in the beginning of 2024, we have it coming to life. So it's, it's a long process, but it has all been part of my growth and really just so exciting to share this knowledge with other people. And it's so well received, as you know, with all the work that you do, too. Yeah, and I think my favorite part about your book is that it's so unique. Like, there's there's a lot of sober books out there, uh, especially lately. And I think your approach is very different from other people. And, of course, I really admire your background um, and your expertise. I think that brings something special to it. But I like what you've done with your book. Why did you decide to write it that way. You know, it's interesting that you asked that because I just had someone share that, you know, there's a lot of, this is interesting because it's the intersection for me of like the quit lit sober book and a health book. And so when I look at it, it's structured like a lot of health or nutrition books are in that, you know, there's some science in the, in the forefront of the, the book and there's you know, a lot of the backstory in it, but there's also as well this, um, you know, this functional piece, which is the guide, which walks you through my approach to using nutrition as part of your alcohol-free journey or your alcohol reduction journey, whatever speaks most to you. And um, I had someone give me feedback the other day that I could have just written it as a science book and as like an expert speaking as to how, you know, how you would follow this approach, but I weave a lot of my story into it because I 
felt like that was one of the best benefits that I received from reading books in the quitlet space was learning about other people's experiences, knowing that I'm not alone in, you know, the things that I've experienced as it relates to alcohol. And so it's really this marriage of story and, um, and guide so that you can not only relate and identify and maybe, um, you know, share in some of the feelings or experiences that I had, but also be able to take the knowledge and the, the uh, recommendations and apply them into your lifestyle right away. Yeah, that was my favorite. Um, I liked learning more about you, obviously, um, because we're friends and I like learning about my friends, but I liked all of the tips and all the interesting recipes. I, it was very comprehensive. Like I, when I read it, I'm like, wow, Brooke, this, <laughs> you put a lot into this book. Don't do anything small. <laughs> that is kind of a common theme of some of us who have a hel- an alcohol use history. We don't do things small. We either go big or we go home, right? And yep. um, yeah, so there's a lot of recipes are in there and it actually doesn't say that anywhere on the cover or really anywhere in the discussion about the book. So I always have to explain there's 40 food recipes, there's 10 drink recipes, but they all are encompassing the what, what I'm speaking about throughout the book, which is certain foods that can help heal your body and how to balance your blood sugar to ward off cravings for alcohol, but also cravings for sugar, how to bring in some of these important nutrients that we need to replenish when we are in that post-alcohol state. So it really is, yeah, the goal is to have all of these things kind of combined in one so that it is a book that can help you not only feel inspired on your sobriety journey or your alcohol reduction journey, but also be able to have some actual tangible tools that you can implement right away. So you talk a lot about anxiety, Mm -hmm. which is something that many of us struggle with. Um, And I know pretty well the relationship between alcohol and anxiety, but I'm learning through my own experience of not really being that on top of my nutrition, that there's probably a good relationship there between nutrition and anxiety. So could you talk more about that and how nutrition can impact our mental health? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I don't think we really directly think about food and our anxiety or our mood. And there's a couple of different ways that food can affect our mood. And one of them has to do with the post that we were just talking about um, that I had shared recently on my, my social, which is, you know, kind of the importance of thinking about certain nutrients that are important for the production of our brain's neurotransmitters. So serotonin and dopamine and GABA, um, not only the neurotransmitters that help with, you know, us feeling good, but also help us relax and sleep and unwind. And what is not well known, I think, by the general public is that all of those brain neurotransmitters, those chemicals we need to feel good, they actually require nutrients as part of that process for them to be to be produced. So all of our brain's neurotransmitters are built off of amino acid precursors, which are the building blocks of proteins. So if we're not getting enough protein or if we're not getting enough um, of a complete protein with the full range of amino acids, that can affect those building blocks of our neurotransmitters. 
but also they require nutrients in the conversion. So, um, you know, those amino acids basically take nutrients like our B vitamins, like zinc and magnesium and vitamin C, and they help us convert to dopamine and serotonin and GABA. So one of the things that is really relevant in the discussion around alcohol is that alcohol also depletes all of these key nutrients that we need to support good brain chemistry. So when we are not getting enough of our B vitamins, enough magnesium, zinc, um, folate, for example, all of these nutrients that are also affected by alcohol, we kind of get caught in this cycle of feeling that low mood or feeling that anxiety, which then causes us to reach for a drink, which then continues to kind of keep us stuck in that vicious cycle. But, you know, there's also a whole nother side of things that one of the chapters of my book, we talk about gut health and the importance of the gut microbiome and and how the gut microbiome influences things like our mood. A lot of people don't know that a big portion of our serotonin is produced in our gut. So we need to have good, healthy microbes in the gut that help to synthesize that as well. And so there's there's kind of a several different ways that foods and our nutrient status, but also our our physiological health, like our gut health, can contribute to these mood disorders. And sometimes people see it even in just having, you know, a day or two of not eating well, or maybe they're eating um, high fat foods, fried foods, uh, high carb foods, and that can in turn contribute to, you know, directly affecting anxiety and depression maybe the next day. Yeah. And it's hard when you're in that loop where your mental health is struggling because alcohol or food is like a quick boost. I don't want to say fix because it doesn't fix it, but it, it gives you a little boost right away and you feel better. And then, you know, your mood goes down later on and it's hard to make the connection that it's between that it's because of the alcohol or the food choices that you're making when it feels like it fixes the problem right away. How do you recommend that people get out of that cycle when they're stuck there? Yeah, well, one of the things too that we're talking about is blood sugar because anytime blood sugar is low or out of balance, think about when we go long periods of time without eating and we get that hanger like that hangry feeling, right? That we're going to chew someone's head off. We're irritable. Like all we need is food, right? We need to kind of boost that blood sugar back up. And sometimes that happens when we go long periods of time without eating. I think that's kind of the standard that most people associate with that low blood sugar feeling. But also if we're consuming a lot of high sugar or high carbohydrate foods and not pairing them with protein or healthy fats or some fiber, what happens is we have something maybe that makes us initially feel good. It gives us a surge of blood sugar that gives us a feeling of elation, a feeling of energy. But what happens if we don't have the protein and the fats and fiber is we have this blood sugar crash, right? And when we have that crash, that's where we go back into that state of feeling that frustration or that hangry feeling, which for many people can manifest as anxiety. So, you know, it's really interesting when we think about the role that anxiety plays um, with food, both in the short term and the long term, right? So in the short term, 
again, having more frequent or consistent meals with enough protein is going to help give us kind of more stable mood or uh, minimize anxiety levels throughout the day. But also on a long-term basis, some of these nutrients or our gut health can also set us up for having some of these things in the future as well. So it's kind of like there's these two pieces, these short-term things that we need to think about, but also these long-term foundational things. Was that ever a struggle for you, like this alcohol, anxiety, nutrition cycle? Absolutely. In fact, a big part of my really reaching my rock bottom point of deciding to quit drinking was I was experiencing extreme anxiety. I mean, I would probably rate it as a 9.75 out of 10 on most days. And I you know, in the end, in, in the end of my drinking era, I was drinking most days of the week. So I was really just kind of putting myself back into this anxiety cycle on a daily basis. Um, but I also am someone who has had a long-term history of, of low mood too. You know, I've gone through periods of depression and, um, you know, really struggled with that and how alcohol contributed to that. But knowing that when, when we're not drink or when we're drinking a lot, we're usually not eating well too, right? So not only is alcohol lowering those important nutrient levels, but it's also making us not eat, which in turn is affecting our blood sugar, causing that anxiety, but also allowing us to continue to fall lower in maybe some of these important nutrients. And this is something that I've been interested in forever because I have my entire life experienced things like anxiety, but also have a family history of anxiety and depression and mood disorders. So I have always been fascinated by the connection between food and nutrition and these types of disorders. And, you know, I think a lot of times we think that we don't always think that food, like food as the frontline you know, care for that. We, we might take medications or we might try other things, but you know, how quick are we to go to a doctor who's going to recommend an, an anti-anxiety medication? Are they ever testing our B vitamin levels and seeing if some of these things are, you know, are in a healthy range that, you know, how's our magnesium if we're having trouble sleeping? No, we're quick to recommend a, a sleeping pill instead. So we're very rarely looking at some of these root cause areas and that's where, again, if you're listening, you can get a little bit of that empowerment to say, OK, let me if I'm experiencing anxiety or depression and it's something that is keeping me stuck in that alcohol cycle or has contributed to staying in that alcohol cycle. Let me get some blood testing done and let me see if maybe there are some things that I am lacking in that could be playing a role. A lot of the B vitamins, the entire B vitamin complex um, they all affect the nervous system. So, you know, deficiencies in everything from B12, folate, B1, which is kind of B1 thiamine is a common one that we think about with heavy long-term alcohol use because there was a lot of research done on that many, many years back. Um, and you'd be surprised to see how often when we do lab testing, that we do see things like B1, B2, B3 being low and replenishing that can really play a role. So it's important. I really believe it's important to have some of the testing done um, because seeing that can really provide a lot of insight into what's going on in your body.
And unfortunately, a lot of times we go to the doctor and they run like two or three quick things when you get blood work. And oh, you're fine. Right. But they are typically not looking really at a comprehensive panel that is going to really look into what could be the cause of anxiety or um, low mood or even fatigue that you might be experiencing. Yeah, that was my next question, actually. Like, can you get this information from your standard yearly blood work or can we can we request Mm -hmm. things be added to that yearly blood work? You always can try. It's a matter of if the doctor (laughs) is going to actually say yes to that. I have some people that, you know, even getting a simple vitamin D test, which is pretty standard across the board now, sometimes even doing that is like pulling teeth. Um, so you could always approach your doctor and in, you know, it's, it's helpful to have a list of things maybe to ask for, um, to take to your doctor, to ask to see if they'll add on. Sometimes they will. And if they say no, then that means, um, maybe you need to find another doctor, which can, can help too. So if you go to your doctor and they test your blood and they say you're fine, but you don't feel fine, you either need more tests or you need a new doctor. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a struggle when you don't feel well, but everyone's telling you you're fine. Yeah. And that's called medical gaslighting. (laughs) And we like to advise against that. And this is really where it's important to, for us to empower ourselves around our health. Like our, the doctor, doctors that we go to are busy, right? They typically have only a couple of minutes to come in. They're really just looking for like quick out the gate stuff. Like they want to make sure you're not currently dying. And as long as you're not currently dying, you're fine. Right. So it's kind of this. Unfortunately, um, we have a model, a medical model of sick care. It's not preventative care. But that doesn't mean that you can't find preventative care or seek out preventative care. It just might mean that you have to ask more questions, maybe try, you know, working with a different doctor or someone who is more receptive. Um, There are doctors and practitioners out there who are able to do that. So it might just be kind of playing around and finding someone who can support you. And, um, and I really believe it should be available to all, you know, the more we can inform and educate ourselves on this, the better we can feel ultimately because we're getting the answers that we're seeking. Yeah. Um, and if we work to improve any deficiencies that we have, or we say we don't get the information from from our yearly blood work, but we just try to be more on top of our nutrition. How long does that typically take to be improved? Yeah, I always tell people anywhere between two to six months. And I know that we talked about this when we did our previous podcast together, and it's something that you speak about a lot. But, you know, a lot of times when we first quit drinking, we maybe we still still feel kind of crappy, like it's not uncommon at all to eliminate alcohol, imagine that you'll feel better, but still be struggling a month in, two months in. And that doesn't mean that you should go back to drinking. (laughs) It doesn't mean that alcohol makes you feel better. It means for me, and I know for you too, Jill, like it means that there's something else going on and that you need to look a little bit deeper. And so again, nutrition can be one of those areas where if you are feeling like, you know, you've cut out alcohol and you're still struggling, that maybe this is something worth looking into. And food is a great place for you to start. So even just by starting to increase your protein content, 
increasing your fiber intake, increasing your veggies, so bringing in a lot of variety in terms of the colors of the foods that you're eating. Um, some of the foods that I really like for healing that I talk about in the book are beets. Beets are really beneficial for the liver, for digestive health. They also help with blood flow and oxygenation to the brain. So I actually recommend them for breakfast, which is weird for a lot of people. But in the book, I have a recipe for a beet chocolate cherry smoothie. That is a great way to get beets for breakfast. And it's my, it's my specialty. I love it. Um, but cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, also really good for the liver for, um, production of glutathione, which is our body's master antioxidant. So we can really use food to support us during this time if we're not feeling better, but also supplements can, can be beneficial for some people too, because it allows us, if we are really deficient in certain nutrients, it's going to allow us to kind of bring in higher levels of those and not have to, you know, wait for food to kind of catch up. So even taking a B vitamin complex in early recovery can be really useful because it's going to restore. Again, the B vitamins are really important for energy production, overall cellular health, but also for mood. So if you're struggling with low mood, low energy in those early days, a B vitamin complex is something that could be really useful. And I talk a lot about supplements in the book too, because I know it's a topic that's really confusing and overwhelming for a lot of people. There's also a free download on my website at functionalsobriety.com for, for supplements as well. It's confusing to know like what to take, what has an impact. Mm -hmm. If you decide to take like five things at the same time. <laughs> Yes. then it's hard to know which one was actually doing anything. Right. Um, yeah, supplements are very confusing. Yeah. So we said at the beginning that we are intense, sometimes all or nothing people. <laughs> and we can do that same behavior with food and exercise. Um, and there's probably... I know that there's a strong relationship between disordered eating and struggling with alcohol. So there's probably a decent amount of listeners that have that history. And I have that history myself. Mm -hmm. What do you say to people that like want to go too hard? I see a lot of people, they quit drinking. They're like, yes, I'm not drinking. I'm going to lose a bunch of weight, be the healthiest I've ever been, eat all the salads drink all the smoothies, exercise every day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like when, and then they can't do it. Yeah. And then they blow everything up. So yep. what do you say to those people? Yeah, well, this is important for me. And, and as you know, from reading the book, Jill, like I was really important for me to make it really easy recommendations, things that are not full lifestyle overhaul, I am, I don't believe in those things, period. Like I am against intermittent fasting. I am against hardcore keto diets. All of those things are, are all temporary, right? And with something even like intermittent fasting, a lot of, most women don't do well with intermittent fasting. Unfortunately, we hear a lot of men talk about the benefits of intermittent fasting and they don't apply to women in the same way. And that has a lot to do with hormonal changes and the ways that women are affected by cortisol differently and how that, you know, even if we're postmenopausal and we're not having as consistent fluctuations in hormones, we still have a lot of hormonal considerations. 
And I bring that up because, yes, it could be really easy to say, I'm going to switch this one thing out for another, and I'm going to go hard into this other area. And I have been really mindful when writing the book about this being more of how we make small tweaks and changes into your current, we're already eating, right? So how do we just take that structure and start to make small tweaks that can be beneficial for supporting a sober, sober, curious lifestyle without it being this like full lifestyle overhaul. Um, because it is, you know, we do have this tendency to go all in, but I really think that when we go all in, we are, we're kind of avoiding the, the, like the root still, right? So this is how we are more mindful of the root, how we look at this root cause stuff. And we're looking at, in this instance, the root cause from a, a health or a scientific standpoint. And so I really believe that providing the education of what's going on in the body so that people can understand it and then apply it is a really important approach rather than just, I don't really know why I'm doing this and I'm going to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, I, and I know completely you agree. That. Yeah. <laughs> and I bet with nutrition, you get a lot of people that are kind of like the gray area drinkers where it's not like, quote, that bad. Mm -hmm. So they struggle to actually deal with it and address it because like maybe sometimes it'll be bad and they'll have a burst of inspiration to deal with it. But other times they excuse it. I bet people do the same with nutrition. Like I know I do. So mm -hmm. I feel like hopefully someone else at least is doing it where I say like what I'm doing isn't horrible. I'm not having like that many consequences or any consequences. Mm. So I'll deal with fixing my nutrition and being healthier later, which is mm -hmm. like AKA never. Um, how, how do you address those kinds of things when people don't understand the the consequences of their, their poor or like meh nutrition. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that too, because alcohol is very different to, to focus on and to eliminate or to manage in our lifestyle, because we don't need alcohol to survive. We can cut it out and, and deal with the elimination of it. Food is very different because we still have to eat every single day. Right. So like we can't and this is the same thing when I talk about like sugar and managing sugar cravings like sugar is very different because our body thrives and is energized by glucose. So we need sugar. It's very different from alcohol in that our body doesn't need it to survive. Right. So it's really about, again, how we start to think about the role that food plays in our lifestyle and our bodies and and again, this educational piece, I think, really helps people because when we understand why we need more protein or what that protein is going to do when we consume it, that it's going to help stabilize our blood sugar, it's going to help minimize anxiety, it's going to help minimize cravings for sugar or for alcohol, that that contributes to people's choices later on. Like rather than just being like, you have to eat this way. And, and I think a lot of us apply these things to like weight loss is what's coming up for me as I'm thinking about this, right? That there's this tendency of like restriction. Alcohol is the same way. We think restrict, restrict. I have to take away all this fun. And now I have to, you know, live this boring life without alcohol and without sugar or foods that I like. And it's really about 
you can still can eat foods that you like. It's just finding how to do it in the way that works based on what your body needs. Right. So even in the book, and I say this, I'm, I am not a proponent of consuming tons of sugar, but I also believe that when you're going through this process, if you have sugar, that's okay. But my goal would be for you to have sugar either directly after a meal so that you're not having this big surge in blood sugar followed by a drop, or that you're having some protein alongside that sugar so that again, it's kind of stabilizing your blood sugar long-term. We need to think about food as fuel and as something that we are making a choice because we want to feel good, but also be easy on ourselves when we are desiring or craving something that we like. And that is normal behavior. Like that is normal for us to have foods that we like and desire them. So it is, it's very similar to alcohol, but different in the way that we need to think of it as still something that we have to, you know, consume in order for us to survive and thrive. Sugar comes up a lot in my community because that's been a huge struggle for me in sobriety and just eating way too much sugar, getting in the habit of doing it every single day. And then I did that 30 day challenge, which like changed my life with sugar. And now a lot of people are becoming interested in that. But it's tough when you crave sugar and you've already eliminated alcohol and you're like, Oh, I can't, I can't do anything now. I can't even have sugar like a normal person. I go too hard on that. Um, how would you know if your blood sugar is messed up? Like if you're having all these spikes and dips and Mm -hmm. how would you know? Yeah, it's a great question. And so there's two things that I want to touch on there. One is blood sugar. And I also want to move kind of shift over and talk about the gut in a moment. So don't let me forget that. But blood sugar is really interesting because those of us who have a history of of alcohol use, there's a statistic from many years back, but I reference it in my book, that is that 95% of heavy alcohol users have a tendency toward hypoglycemia. So because of the way that alcohol affects our blood sugar, and, and people think that because alcohol has sugar or carbs, like If we drink a glass of wine, which has sugar in it, that that is what changes our blood sugar. But ethanol, the molecule of alcohol, actually affects and impacts the way that our liver and our body releases things like our insulin and our glucagon, which manage our blood sugar on a long-term basis. So many people who have a history of alcohol use have a tendency toward lower hypoglycemic moments. We wouldn't necessarily know that unless we were testing our blood sugar or wearing something like a continuous glucose monitor. I can tell you that in um, this, in 2023, I was wearing a continuous glucose monitor. We call it a CGM for a couple of months and even years after quitting alcohol, whether these two things are directly related or not, or if I am just someone who experiences hypoglycemia, who knows, but I see it a lot with clients that we have these tendencies to more low blood sugar than high blood sugar. And I also see this evidenced in lab testing sometimes when someone has, um, you know, a hemoglobin A1C test done, which is usually measured for someone who's diabetic. And it looks at the average of our blood sugar levels over the course of three months. A normal A1C is 5, 5.0, 5.3. Anything over 5.6 is where we look at prediabetes or moving into diabetes. 
My A1C is like a four point something. I see it a lot in clients with a heavy alcohol use history that they're trending very low in blood sugar. And so that can be playing a role in those, those alcohol cravings for sure, or those sugar cravings for sure, that even in longer term recovery, even if it's been a couple of years of not drinking, you might still be having those hypoglycemic moments. So again, this is where testing can be really helpful or wearing something like a continuous glucose monitor, which um, there's companies online that you can do it and try it at home. But the other thing that I want to mention is that the gut also plays a role in sugar cravings. And if there is any imbalances in the gut microbiome, if there's overgrowth of um, bacteria or overgrowth of yeast like candida, those can thrive off of sugar and carbs. And so they actually, when we have overgrowth of bacteria in the gut, it sends signals to your body to send in sugar because it, it eats that, right? So that could be another thing that's playing a role. If you're someone who has struggled a lot with sugar cravings in the past, that it might be the result of these imbalances in the gut. So you can do things, try things like taking probiotics can sometimes help. But if there is a lot of disruption in the gut microbiome, sometimes a probiotic isn't enough. Um, that's where I do one-on-one -on -one work with clients where we'll actually do a stool test and look to see what is going on in the gut, what type of bacterial imbalance there might be. And then we use herbs and supplements and things to rebalance that. So that is also a way, an avenue to kind of consider when it comes to really intense sugar cravings. Can the the low blood sugar thing be like a chicken or the egg situation? Like what I've learned is we may start out with a lot of vulnerabilities that then make it easier for us to, I guess, enjoy alcohol because it fixes these vulnerabilities that we already have. Like, could you just be a person that has lower blood sugar or do you think that's a consequence of heavy drinking and you're just recovering still? It could absolutely be, absolutely be one or the other. Right. Because I have people, you know, before I worked with clients who were um, in recovery or coming off of alcohol before that, we would you know, I've worked with other clients who have hypoglycemia. There's people who have never drank a day in their life that have hypoglycemia. But there is also uh, some really interesting research around it, too. So so, yeah, it's hard to say one or the other if one created that or not. But regardless, um, you know, it's something worth finding out about because it could be helpful in terms of how you approach things moving forward. You know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to have like willpower, right? Like I don't have the willpower to say no to this drink or I don't have the willpower to say no to that cupcake. But usually there's something physiological going on that's contributing to that, right? So I, I say that so that we can take some of the pressure off ourselves to say like, oh, I just have such a sweet tooth and you know, I don't know why I can't do this and someone else is having an easier time when usually there's something else going on in the body that's contributing to that. Um, how, how can we start to be mindful of both blood sugar stabilization and better gut health? Because yeah. I know you've talked a lot about protein. Mm -hmm. what, are, what are some like quick ways that we can just stay mindful of that while we work on improving our nutrition and getting all the expert information from your book? 
Yeah. So one of the other big things to keep in mind is that the longer we go between meals, the more we're setting ourselves up for that low blood sugar. So I always recommend having something to eat every three to four hours, not going any longer than that. Um, Some people even find like closer to that three hours is even better for them. Um, If we go six hours or so between meals, that's going to really set us up for not having that willpower to say no to the drink or to the cupcake. A lot of times when people have that afternoon witching hour, that difficulty at the end of the day, my first question is always, well, when was the last time that you ate, right? Was it lunch five hours ago? Because you're probably just hungry, right? And I learned that early on. And when I started working with people in recovery, I had someone in one of my like first ever groups that was like a sober October. And she would say to me, Brooke, I I have to have this wine at five o'clock. It's you know, it helps me have the energy to get through the rest of my day to do the laundry and to make dinner and da, 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 da. And I'm like, energy. Okay. Well, I think that your blood sugar is just low and this is giving you kind of this short term little boost that you're feeling like is providing this benefit, even though you're crashing after that and, you know, not sustaining that energy. And so having more frequent meals is is important having breakfast is important so again high protein breakfast not following an intermittent fasting protocol especially if you're struggling with a lot of cravings intermittent fasting is not going to help because it's going to and you could do an overnight 12 hour fast you know from 8 p.m to 8 a.m is fine but i usually suggest having something to eat within that first hour it's going to help set you up with successful blood sugar throughout the day And that is really important because a lot of times we don't think about at 5 p.m. when we're having a craving, we don't associate it with what happened at breakfast time. But those two things are connected. So it's important to think of to think about the meal timing, to focus on having protein at every single meal or snack, because that's also going to help. You could also do some home tracking of blood sugar. I mean, a continuous glucose monitor is helpful because it gives you like a consistent reading. You tap your phone against it and it gives you the reading, but you could also buy an over the counter blood sugar, you know, uh, and you could do some blood sugar uh, monitoring at home. You could also do some food journaling to write down like how you're feeling, what time you ate, what you ate, are you having a crash? And you can start to look at patterns and um, consistencies that are happening with that to get a better role uh, understanding of that. And then as it relates to gut, I am a huge fan of doing stool testing, which sounds so funny. I love stool tests. They're really great. They give a lot of really interesting information and it's really helpful to know what's actually going on because a lot of times we hear these things like take a probiotic, right? Oh, okay. I should take a probiotic. Well, I will tell you that sometimes I have clients that come to me and have been taking probiotics for years. We do a test on their gut and they have no probiotic growth whatsoever. They have all these imbalances that are going on in bacteria, but the probiotics are really low. And what that means is that even if we're taking them, there's still this disrupted balance that's going on in there that's not allowing them to like stick and to grow there. So in that instance, we have to take a little bit different of an approach. Maybe it's trying a different probiotic or it's it's using herbs to kind of change the balance of what's going on in the gut. Um, but it's important to know, like, again, this is where we can get more in touch and in tune with our body and start to say, 
well, how's my digestion? Am I having any difficulties with, you know, heartburn, reflux, upward digestive symptoms? Am I experiencing a lot of bloating or discomfort after certain foods? Am I having irregular bowel movements? Um, you should be having a bowel movement one to three times per day, every single day. Yes, every single day, which confuses people sometimes. And I know you might be thinking, no, but I go, you know, three times a week. And that's always been my quote unquote normal. Um, but it's not necessarily normal. We should be having at least one bowel movement every single day. Um, and then the other thing that people don't always recognize is that our gut influences all of these other areas of the body. It can play a role in mood. It can play a role in energy. It can affect skin. Things like acne or eczema or psoriasis can all root from the gut. Um, if we have inflammatory disorder, if we have an autoimmune disorder, if we have a thyroid disorder, a lot of these things can root from gut imbalances. And so it, even just diving a little bit deeper more into the, that learning and understanding of the gut and how it's playing a role can be really beneficial in understanding if maybe you need to address that as part of your, your journey. That's also interesting. And you're right. It's hard to connect what we're experiencing right now with what we did a few hours ago or that morning, even though like we know that it has an impact, it's hard to think about it in the moment. And that's, um, I'm working on developing my anger management program. And that's a huge part of an anger management program is to look back, like what time of day are you feeling pissed off all the time. Is it four o'clock? Well, yeah. did you eat lunch or do you skip lunch every day? Like what did you okay. have for breakfast? So analyzing those kinds of things. So I just thought that was very interesting that you brought it up. Um, this is all so complex, yeah. but I think small changes and working on that awareness of how mm -hmm. things impact your mood or your skin, if that's a concern for you or, um, bloating or the way that you feel about yourself or your energy levels. I think developing that awareness is really essential and empowering. Yeah. And it's really important because what have we done for so long with alcohol is we've disassociated from our body entirely, right? So there's a big part of this evolution into our alcohol-free lifestyle that is just starting to connect back and say, oh, wow, you know what? I did skip lunch and I am really irritable or, you know, I do have a lot of bloating and it seems to happen after I eat this type of food, right? We don't have that same awareness when we're drinking a lot, right? And unfortunately, alcohol contributes to a lot of these things, right? Which we don't necessarily think about. And we don't think about that as part of our recovery. That's my goal with this book is that we think about these things differently because they are playing a role. It doesn't mean you have to go gung-ho into a diet or that you have to do all these like extreme things. All it means is that this is a huge opportunity for you to say like, okay, I'm in control of how I feel. I can make choices that empower me to feel the way that I want to feel. So what was your favorite part of writing the book? Hmm, my favorite part of writing the book. My favorite part of writing the book has been getting to connect with all of the people in the sobriety space like you and so many others getting to become 
friends with some amazing people who have written books and to just be a part of this conversation about change. This is, I really think we're on the forefront of a massive shift in how our society views alcohol. We are seeing a lot of discussion, even in governmental agencies, around change for the discussion around alcohol. We have done a major disservice to the public by letting people believe that alcohol is good for us. And the reality is that all of that is changing. The tide is changing on that, that alcohol is really a poison. It's a toxin. It's a class one carcinogen, which means that it is known to cause cancer in humans. It is on the same list, as you know, Jill, of things like tobacco and asbestos and radiation. And would we consume small amounts of radiation because we think it might be good for us? No, we think that's crazy, right? Small amounts of radiation are actually really harmful for us. And yet alcohol is on this same list, right? So we have done a lot of damage to our society by letting them believe that alcohol has health benefits. And now we have to go back and do the work to reeducate people to say that this is something that is making you feel as crappy as you feel. It's contributing to the global epidemics of cardiovascular disease and cancer and all of these other health effects. And, um, you know, and we're just being kind of led to believe that we need it to have fun. And you and I know, and a lot of the people who are listening who are sober know that you don't have to have alcohol to have fun, but it is a tough change to make, but it is absolutely possible. Absolutely possible. Yeah. You can have more fun, be happier, feel better about yourself <laughs> all without alcohol. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard, hard, hard to make that change. So like for anyone who's listening, who's like, yeah, you're freaking crazy. You both are crazy. You know, how? I just think I'll be destined for, you know, a boring existence, but it really is a better life and we do overcome it and we're stronger for going through that experience for sure. What was your least favorite part of writing this book? Mm, good question. Um, well, I wonder if my publisher is listening. Um, no, just kidding. No, the, I mean, the, the writing process is really challenging. You know, it's it's really intense when you have a 300 page word document that you're working off of and you have to go through and make a bunch of edits and you're reading it over and over and over again. Um, so the, the actual physical process is really difficult and it's creates a lot of burnout, which is really tough. And it's important to remember for anyone who is working on a big project like this to take a lot of time for self-care and take a lot of space for yourself when you need it. But it is such a rewarding process, you know, like it, it's really a testament of like long-term strength because it's not just a project that you like do it and it's done and then it's out there. It's like a two year process, like two full year process and um, and you just kind of keep like chipping away at it every single day. And that's why, like, it's so wild when like it's finally here and then I hold the book and I see Jill's name on the back who wrote an endorsement. And like, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful process. And I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. After you take a long break, <laughs> when you're done uh, marketing the book, which I don't know if that's ever done, but when you're done with this big initial push, 
what is next for you? That's a great question. I mean, I, um, I feel really passionately about continuing to educate in this space and around nutrition and recovery. And I hope to continue to influence that in a lot of different areas. I'd, I'd love to be able to contribute to more research in this space because there is some, but not enough. And, you know, when we talk about areas like the gut and, um, and alcohol and how those two things kind of work together, there's some research, but again, there's not enough in kind of tying a lot of this together. So I hope to be a part of that. And I know that you hope to be a part of that too, because that's our jam. Um, so yeah, so I still have to work on my, my next goals. This was a big goal of mine for a really long time. And, um, you know, I'm so thrilled to be able to bring this to life. But yeah, it's time for me to like sit down and think about what's truly next, I think. After a big rest. After a vacation. Yes. Um, well, this was amazing. Besides running to go get how to eat to change how you drink, where can we connect with you and your work? Yeah, so you can learn more about my work, my programs at functionalsobriety.com. And you can learn more about the book there, but the book is available wherever books are sold and you can get it on Kindle, on Audible. If you get Audible, you'll hear hear me read it to you, which if you enjoyed my voice, you'll enjoy that. Um, and I'm most active on social media on Instagram at drbrookscheller. Thank you so much, Brooke. This was amazing. And I'm sure there'll be a third time that you come back. I hope so. This was great. I pre always appreciate our conversations and diving more into the science. And I hope your audience enjoyed learning a little bit more about this today. Yeah. And links for everything, as always, will be in the show notes, everybody. And thank you again for being here, Brooke. Thank you. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.